Well, we've been in a message series called Postmodern Love, where we've taken a look at what the truth and how the truth affects how we love. And um, we really have all of our message, messages in our series um, that we do all the way through December. But in preparing for this week's, I felt like the Lord told me to pause and to bring a separate message specifically for what we've been facing this week as a community. Um, and I felt led to just encourage you. So, I mean, how many of you guys have been enjoying postmodern love? I've enjoyed it. Postmodern love has been great for me. You guys have been enjoying it? Yeah. Well, um, in March, we're starting a, a series called People Problems. And how many of you guys got people problems? We got people problems. You got people problems. If you want to invite your problem, you can do that too. Bring them to church. And then April, April is a lot of fun. April's going to be a blast. We're going to be talking about long live the king, baby. Uh, and that's going to be a fun, a fun series collection. Um, but today I want to preach a message titled Taste and See. Taste and See. And, uh, and I want to go to Psalms chapter 34. I've already given you kind of the, the, the first verse, but I want to read a few verses. And I'm going to key on verse 8. Uh, but it says here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Verse 2 uh, says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we just did. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. See, you don't need a tanning bed. You just need to spend time with Jesus. Um, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Again, sermon title, oh, taste and see. Taste and see this morning. Let's pray. God, I pray that you're with us for the next few moments. God, whether those who are watching online, those who are in the room, God, I pray for those who will listen to this on uh, another media later this week or next month or God, in two years. And God, I pray that your word does not return void so you will speak to them no matter what. And I pray that you're the loudest voice in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever found yourself between, in between a rock and a hard place? Uh, like in a very difficult situation and a squeeze. I kind of look at it like this. Sometimes the rock is the thing I couldn't control and the hard place is the decisions that I made in my life that kind of squeeze me in that. Like when I'm in a difficult situation, I want to try to work my way out of it, but I actually make the situation worse. Come on, have you guys ever made a hard situation even worse, right? Because the decisions and you find yourself in between a rock and a hard place. Um, I found myself this, uh, in a place like this when um, I went over to dinner to a friend's house. And uh, you know, I mean, you guys know the friends that you're talking about that you don't quite know on that level? Like you're not refrigerator right friends. How I many you guys have refrigerator right friends? Like you walk in the door, I'm gonna go straight to your fridge. I'm even gonna go to the garage fridge where you keep the good stuff. You know, I'm gonna, like that's, that's the level of friendship I have with you. Um, uh, and you know, and that's a deep level because uh, if you're just surface friends, you're, you're not really the real you yet. You know, you're the polished version of you. You're the polite version. You're not gonna talk about 
religion or politics. You're going to keep it small talk. Um, you know, I, I went over to a dinner to uh, a friend's house a few years ago, and I found myself in between a rock and a hard place um, because we weren't that good of friends yet. Like, I didn't even have remote rights. How many of you guys know if you got TV remote rights at a friend's house, like, you are real, real friends. Like, Natalie and I, my wife, we're not even on that level yet. Um, <laughs> So I was, at a, I was at this individual's, this family's house, and, and we're there, and they're sweet, and they're polite, we're having a good time. But how many of you guys know that, like, when you go to somebody's house, you have that conversation, like, I wonder if dinner's going to be good. Like, I wonder if it's going to be good, because you don't know if they can cook or not. You know, I mean, just because they prepare food doesn't mean it's good food. Come on, so you ever been there, right? Like, just because there's something on the table does not mean I want it in my body. Um, and I found myself in between a rock and a hard place, because I was at this dinner, and you don't want to offend them. You really don't. You want to be polite. You want to be nice. And so you're sitting there and, um, and then you see the food and they lift the top or they play it, prepare it there and you see it, but you don't want to taste it. Come on. Have you ever been there? I see that, but I ain't tasting that. I'm sorry, David. I'm not tasting it. And then seeing, I see it and I don't want to taste it. And you're in between this rock and a hard place because you don't want to offend them by not eating of the food, but you also don't want to offend your stomach because you know what that'll do to you and you're just like, I just can't do that. I'm in a rock and a hard place. Uh, I find it interesting that David, the writer of this Psalm says, taste and then see, taste and then see, not see and then taste. I think we live in a world and especially uh, you and I in our culture, we want to see it first and then we'll taste it. We want to see it proven and then we'll experience it. We want to see all that comes with it and then we'll jump in in it. But you know, following Jesus really is a life of faith. It's a life of trust. It's a life of, of stepping out and maybe not having all the picture yet, but being willing to trust God. You know, how many of you have ever, ever you've, your, your friend or your spouse, they've said, hey, taste this, but shut your eyes. All right, shut your eyes and then, and then tell me what you think about it. Uh, there's a little bit of trust, isn't there? You're like, well, hold up. I what, are you, what are you about to give me? Uh, but because you trust them, you'll taste it. You know, in order to see miracles in our life, there's got to be an element of faith and trust. In order to see deliverance in our life, there's got to be a little bit of faith. In order to see the peace that only God can bring in our life, there's got to be a little bit of faith in that. And that comes by tasting and then seeing, not just seeing, then tasting. But for people who choose not to follow God, what they're basically saying is this, is I don't want to put my faith in God. I don't want to put my trust in God. I don't want to taste what God has to offer because I trust my own ability. I trust my own intelligence. I trust my own career, my own, uh, my own bank account. I trust the, uh, I put my faith in the system of the world. I put my faith in certain ideologies that I create. Uh, but the problem is, is I don't think that they can say what David says when he says, taste and see that God is good. I think we live in a world where, yes, they may be able to see, then taste, and yes, determine it's good, but not ultimately good, temporarily good. I think we've all been in places where we thought this is a good way, and it may work for a few weeks, a few months, a couple years, but it doesn't turn out ultimately to be good. It's good in the moment, and it's good temporarily, and it may even feel good in a certain moment, but it doesn't actually turn out to be good. 
I think God kind of has a way, once you experience God and taste what God has to offer, God kind of has a way of ruining all other things for you. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus talking about himself says this, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I was with a friend a few weeks ago, and, and he introduced me to something called Wagyu. It's a steak, and it's a really high-dollar type of beef, and supposedly it's supposed to be this amazing thing where you don't need anything, like the marbling, everything's just amazing, the crust. And can I tell you that the minute I tried Wagyu, it ruined Applebee's for me. I could never go back to Applebee's again. It was never the same. I, I couldn't do it because it was that good. God is kind of the same way. You can I tell you that when you taste the peace that only Jesus can bring, can I tell you the peace of the world doesn't come close? Can I tell you that when you taste the joy of, the, uh, of Jesus, the joy and pleasure of the world doesn't taste the same? Can I tell you that when you taste Jesus, when you experience all that he has to offer, can I tell you the world does not even come close? It's almost like tasting Wagyu and having going back to, to hamburger. I don't want hamburger anymore. I want that marveling. Come on, somebody, can I get an amen? You see, for those who have experienced Jesus and tasted God, they can't go back. God kind of has a way of ruining all other experiences that fall short of what God can bring. God's peace is better, better than anything else. God's love is better than anything else. God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's strength, his wisdom, his provision, his protection is better than anything else in our world. And David writes this psalm, taste and see that God is good. Maybe you're in a situation where you cannot say that. Where you look at your life, you look at your circumstance, you look at your situation, and you would go, I don't know that God is good. I don't know because, because life doesn't look or feel good right now. This past week, I don't know if you were sitting in five degree weather, no water, no power, and you're going, God, where are you at? Can you be good even now, but can I tell you this, that, that although our circumstances may not be good, God is still good. God is still good no matter what happens in our life. God is still good no matter where we find ourselves in between a rock and a hard place. God is still good. I have this thought for you that I want to build out and then talk about. It's this, that God is good even when life isn't. God is good even when others aren't. God is good even when I'm not. God is good even in the loss. God is good even in the pain. God is good even in the difficulty. God is good even in the storm. God is good even in the terrible memories. God is good all the time. You see, David writes this after a very difficult, painful season. See, I'm going I'm to help you understand how the Psalms come about and, and understand the scriptures a little bit more so you can understand context to that. You, you see, a Psalm was always written in either reflection or retrospection. As David would reflect on who God was, he would write Psalms and poetry, or he would look retrospectively at a situation he lived in his life and then reflect on it and write about how God moved in his life. So when David is writing Psalms 34, where he says, hey, I, my praise will be continually on, on my lips and I will continue to worship and you, you set people free and you, 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 uh, you free them from fears, you would obviously think that David must have gone through some wonderful situation, but that's not true about what happened to David. 
See, David, for those of you who don't know the Bible, that's okay. We love that you're here. In fact, if you don't know any of the Bible, you're in the right place. King David was the, the second king of Israel. The first king was Saul. King David was anointed to be the next king serving under Saul. And in fact, David is the lineage of where Jesus comes from. So David is here and he's serving under King Saul. And, and David begins to outperform Saul a little bit. In fact, they begin to write songs about how David uh, was outperforming Saul. They wrote songs that went like this, that Saul kills his thousands in battle. But David kills 10,000s and, and Saul began, began to become a little jealous and, and, and not like David and, and began to, to harm David and want bad things for David. The problem was is that David was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And there came a day when, when Saul had finally been fed up with David and decides, I'm going to kill him. Jonathan warns David and says, hey, listen, David, you got to get out. My father, he's coming for you. He's going to kill you. Now David has to run and he's on the run and he finds himself in between a rock, which is something he could not control. Saul killing David was something that David could not control. It was just an evil man that wanted evil plans for David. So David finds himself in a situation where he doesn't know what to do because he loses his best friend, he loses his job, he loses his fellow warriors, and now he's on the run, and where do I go? Have you guys ever found yourself in situations where you don't know where to go? <clears throat> God, where do I go? What do I do? How do I handle this? What do I do with this pain? What do I do with this difficulty? How, how do I handle this moment now? So David does something rather foolish, and I'm pretty sure if God looked at our lives and, and wrote a story about our lives, uh, we would probably have something similar. David does something foolish, and he runs to the Philistine camp. Now, the Philistines, if you don't know the Bible, the Philistines were the, were the arch enemy of the Israelites. The Philistines and the Israelites hated one another. So David runs to the Philistines, and he tries to hide with the enemy. David realizes I've made him in big trouble. This is the wrong place. I should not be here. Come on, you've been there before when you're going, I should not be here right now. I have made a big mistake. Anybody ever have that pit in your stomach where you're like, I don't think I should be here right now? Maybe it's not even a location. Maybe it's a mentality. I don't think I should be thinking this right now. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't think I should be with this person right now. I mean, you hit them up at 2 a.m., trust me, it's a bad relationship. You had difficulty in your life. You had difficulty in your marriage. You run to a past relationship because they brought you comfort. I don't think I should be right here right now. You go back to a substance because the substance was the only way that you can cope with that difficult situation and something tells you, I don't think I should be here right now. You see, David finds himself in between a rock and a hard place. So what does David do? He pretends to be insane. It says he tried to pretend to be insane and so he would claw at the doors and drool on the mouth. If you ever want to get out of a relationship, just pretend to be insane. <laughs> Next date night you go on, just start drooling. It's not you, baby, it's me. Yeah, it definitely is you, yeah. All right. <laughs> David gets out of the hard situation, runs and begins to reflect back on the goodness of God and writes this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, how in the world can David write, taste and see that God is good after being abandoned by his best friend, wanting to be killed by the king of Israel, runs to an enemy camp, has to pretend to be insane, walks away and looks back and go, man, God is good. 
And he did the, the whole like church thing, y'all you know what I'm saying? Right, when I say God is good, y'all say all the time. And I say all the time, y'all say God is good. David had to say that by himself. He didn't have anybody with him. He was like, God is good. Yeah, all the time, all the time. God is good. He just did it to himself. He's alone. But can I tell you this, that God is good even when life isn't. God is good even when we find ourselves in trouble. God is good even when we find ourselves discouraged. God is good even when we find ourselves filled with anxiety. God is good even when we find ourselves full of fear. God is good even when we lose things in our life that we thought we would never lose. God is good even when we can't get certain things back. God is good even when we've made a mess of good things in our life. God is good. Why is God good? I'm going to give you three thoughts so you can think on them all week. Number one, God is good because he helps the humble. He helps the humble. Psalms 34 verse 2 says this, my, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. I don't know that that's something we can say about our culture today. I think a lot of people make their boast in themselves. We boast about our achievements. We boast about our ability. We boast about our intelligence. We boast about how we have certain followers on Instagram. We boast about how the fact that we don't look pretty unless we filter it. We boast about the, the achievements on our wall. We boast, we boast, we boast. But David says, my soul boasts in the Lord. And he says, let the humble hear and be glad. David writes this after fleeing to the wrong place. You see, Saul wants to kill him. In fact, he, he mobilizes the whole Israelite army to pursue David, and David just loses his best friend, Jonathan, and now he finds himself in the enemy camp. Can I take a detour for a second? Can I do that? Can I, do I have permission? Y'all with me? I'm just telling you that so you'll recognize that I'm taking a detour. <laughs> David was in the Philistine camp. Pain... Trouble and trial has a way of leading you to places that you never belonged in the first place. I want you to think about this. Connect this. This is for my extra credit people who really want to go deep with the Lord. And don't just think like, oh, if I'm a Christian, all I do is win, win, win. No, let's go deep. Ready? <laughs> let's go deep. Pain and trouble have a place of sending you to spaces and places in your life that you don't belong. David was the next anointed king of Israel and he found himself in the Philistine camp. David, the next ruler of Israel, finds himself in his arch enemy's camp. Pain and trouble in our life, if we are not careful, will send you to a place and a space in your life that you have no business being. Maybe you were a positive person. You were upbeat. You looked at the bright side of life. You always had vision for your life. You always looked at, you were optimistic about life. Pain happens and it sends you into a downward spiral of negativity. Now every day you wake up and you don't see the sunrise. You see the darkness. You see the difficulty. You become more and more negative. Uh, you're negative with your kids. You're negative with your spouse. You're negative at, at work. Why? Because that is a place that God never wanted you to be. Pain can send you to a place that you never were designed to be, never were called to be, never were anointed to be. It was not the purpose on your life. Maybe you were somebody that was always willing to help somebody else. I'm always there for people. 
I'm always there to encourage people. I'm always there to serve people. However I can help you out. Maybe you were that friend that anytime there was trouble, I knew to call Eric. Eric will always help me out. And even if he can't, he'll encourage me. But pain happened in your life. Trouble happened in your life. You were between a rock and a hard place and difficulty. And where do you find yourself now? You don't want to help anybody out. I don't want to encourage anybody. Now everything's about me and my pain and my problems. When you talk to people in your relationship, you don't care anything was going on in their life. You just can't wait to dump your problems. I wonder if that's the Philistine camp for you. You see, pain has a way of sending us to places that we weren't supposed to be. But God is still good. So David finds him in a place where he's not supposed to be because of the pain and loss in his life and the difficulty and the problems and all the situations. And I think David looks back and writes this and he goes, you know what? I don't know better than God. You see, humility is not about thinking less about yourself. And it's not really even thinking about yourself less. For me, I think humility is recognizing where my limitations are. Where are my limitations? I think humility is simply this, right? The acknowledgement of limitation in my life. What, where, where do I stop being good at something? Where do I really stop knowing how to navigate certain situations in my life? Where, where are the limitations of my ability to handle certain situations? See, David got into a moment of pain where Saul wanted to kill him. Jonathan well, couldn't be his friend anymore. He was alone. He was abandoned. And he tried to navigate that problem for himself. So what does he think? Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll run to the Philistine camp. How many of us have done that? Difficulty happens, problems happen, and we think, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to handle this myself. I've got enough intelligence, enough acumen, enough ability to navigate for myself a situation. And all we do is find ourselves in problems. The Word of God says that this, that God resists the proud. So if, if proud is the opposite of humility and pride is the opposite of humility, that's thing that says this, pride has no limitations. I can do it all. I can do it. Like, I'm good. I'm gold, baby. I got this. But what happens when you face something bigger than you? What happens when you face something that, man, I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this problem in my, with my child. I don't know how to handle this problem in my marriage. I don't know what to do in my career, in my situation. I don't, have to, I don't know how to navigate this anxiety. I don't know how to navigate these problems. Can I tell you, all humility is going, I have a limitation to knowing how to navigate this. And here's the goodness of God. That's where God steps right into your life and says, I got you. Let me lead you. Let me show you. Let me direct you. See, God is good because God doesn't just start when you end. God starts when you started too. <laughs> so like you don't walk 50 yards and then God finishes the rest 50 God's been walking with you since yard one, baby. God's been walking with you the whole time. 
But there comes a moment when you go, God, this is the end of me. You've got to take over. You've got to lead me. You've got to guide me. And I think what David is looking back going, listen, God is good. And if you'll just humble yourself and go, God, I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do. You've got to do it for me. Can I tell you that God will answer you every single time. He will be there for those who are humble. He will resist those who are proud. Come on, church. God is good. So the second, second, second thought I've got is, 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 is he helps those who are humble, but then he frees us from fear. He frees us from fear. Psalms 34 verse 4, again, David looking back, says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. You can imagine David. David, David, David is so afraid he doesn't know what to do that he runs to his enemy. What if Saul catches me? What if I'm betrayed by my friends? What if the Philistines kill me? What if God abandons me? Can I tell you this, that what if is the greatest ammunition of fear? What if? What if my life is never the same? Like, what if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if she doesn't really love me? What if, what if my kids never come home? What if, what if, what if our society doesn't make it out of this? What if I catch the virus? What if this person's elected? What if this person's not elected? What if, what if, what if, how many, how many guys know that sometimes we can't even sleep because what if? The what ifs in our life, we're, we're constantly worried about what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. We wake up to the alarm clock of what if. What if I don't have enough money? What if I, what if I can't send my kids to college? What if, what if something happens? What if, what if, what if? We drive to work thinking what if. I remember uh, stepping in as, as pastor first week of April 2020. And it was really great because nothing crazy in our world was going on. <laughs> it was like a really peaceful time. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, like political tension weren't there. There was no red and blue. It was all purple. We were all working together. There wasn't a global pandemic. I remember stepping in and, and, uh, and I would pray and I'd, I remember battling what ifs, what if, what if I'm just an idiot? What if this whole thing crumbles? You know, Pastor Jim and Pam, they built this amazing building. What if we, what if we can't pay for it? What if like our church doesn't succeed? What if we don't reach people? What if I, you know, all the what ifs, probably two months, I'm, I'm trying to lead and fight and argue the what ifs and battling the what ifs and, you know, like we all do. I remember you asked Natalie, I'd be up at 3.30 in the morning, just like, I have no idea. I'm terrified first, first six weeks, just over my head. Terrible, ter terrified. God, what if I fail? What if I'm too young? What if I'm too stupid? What if, like, what if, what if all those things? And I remember praying in this room. And I was praying and I was, I'm, I'm kind of doing that whole fear game. And we've all done that. We've all had those arguments with God. We've all had those, you know, those narratives in our head. I'm sure David had it. What do I do now? What if Saul catches me? What, 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 what do I have now? I remember praying and I remember God just, just tweaked my question a little bit. And, and he dropped this thing in my heart that completely changed. And I've been living on this for a few months now and it's been life-changing. And God said this to me, he says, stop asking what if and start saying even if. Because God said, I loved you before you were in the ministry. 
I loved you before you had a title. I loved you before you had responsibility. I loved you before you had four kids and a wife. I loved you when you were a moron. I loved when you were a sinner. I loved you when you were evil in your own devices. I loved when you were broken. I loved when you were a mess. I loved you in the mud. I loved you in the filth. I loved you in all the sin that you found yourself in. I loved you then. And I'll love you if you fail. And I'll love you if you screw up. And I'll love you if the church folds, which it won't, because I'm pretty sure the board would come in. I'll love you if you go broke. I'll love you if if you just do a terrible job. I'll love you if nobody gets saved. I'll love you. Why? Because I love you even if. Can I tell you, that changes things. That changes things. God is good because he'll love you even in the pain. He'll love you even in the brokenness. He'll love you even in the fear. He'll love you even in the lack. He'll love you in situations that you don't know how to navigate. He'll love you in between the rock and the hard place. God does not love you with a what if love. God loves you with an even if love. Why? Taste and see that God is good. God is good. You see, fear will always ask what if, but faith always says even if. We serve a God that is good, that doesn't need us to perform for him or produce for him. Now, does that mean that I want to go be a failure? Of course not. But it changes the motivation. It changes the heart behind it. Maybe you're facing a situation right now where you've got a thousand what ifs. Can I tell you that God will be faithful even if? That God will love you even if, that God is there for you even if, and even if Saturday night was a crazy night, he's there for you even if. You see, God is good because he is there for the humble and he sets us free from fear because he says, even if I'm never leaving you nor abandoning you, I will be for you night and day. I am there. I am your rock. I am your safe place. I am your refuge. I am your healing. I am your hope. I am your joy. I am your peace. Why? Even if. So this third thought, and we'll close, is he saves us from trouble. Why is God good? Because he saves us from trouble even when we made the trouble. There's a pastor that I listened to for a long time that used to say that God troubles the troubler. (laughs) I love that line. That we all have a troubler in our life, but God troubles the troubler. Psalms 34 verse 6 says this, In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. Come on, you know David had to be feel desperate. Literally, uh, a warrior of royal prestige pretending to be insane. I mean, you wonder at night how he would have thought to himself, how far I've fallen. I used to be in a palace and now I'm drooling on my beard. Anybody ever do shameful things when you got desperate? Anybody ever say shameful things when you got desperate? Well, you may have been there in a fight with someone you love and you feel hurt, you feel angry, you feel desperate. And you say something that later you think, why did I say that? That was stupid. I'm ashamed of that. David says, in my desperation, in my shame, in my trouble, the Lord listened and he saved me from all my troubles. David writing this again after finding himself in a painful situation, a difficult situation. David had fled to a Philistine king, but, the, but I want to show you something. Can I take another detour? You guys cool with that? 
Let me show you here. David runs to the Philistine king. The Philistine king accepts him. But then the Philistine king's counselors recognize who David is. And they say to the king, hey, hey, you, you know who this guy is, right? The king probably is like, nah, dude, this is some dude that came to my court. I don't know. Sometimes I say things. Counselors whisper in the king's Philistine king, the enemy king, the wrong king's ear. It says this, we're going to put it on the screen. It says, and the servants of Achish, that was his name, said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Now look, it's, an, it's a lowercase king because meaning he wasn't actually the rightful king, but he sure did behave like a king. Did, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down thousands and David his ten thousands. So here's my detour. And this is for people who are leaders who have influence, have a call. So this is not gonna be for everybody. This is gonna be specific people who wanna build the kingdom of God. This right here. Painful places, painful situations will cause you to forget who you are. And the enemy has a better memory of your purpose and destiny than you do. Some of you have forgotten your call. Some of you have forgotten your destiny and your purpose because pain has driven you to a place where you cannot fulfill it. But the enemy recognizes your purpose and your potential more than you do. Some of you have been sitting in the sidelines trapped by fear, trapped by pain, trapped by difficulty, and the enemy knows your potential more than you do. David is the king of Israel. David's a mighty warrior. What's he doing in the enemy's court? The servants recognize it. And they say, hey, listen, if we got him here, he ain't killing us. You see, if the enemy can trap you in pain, if the enemy can trap you in difficulty, if the enemy can trap you in the place that you shouldn't be, the enemy's gonna be like, hey, Satan, look what we got. We got this called destined man of God. Let's keep him here. Because if we got him here, he ain't building the kingdom. Look at this woman we got here. She's all kinds of bent up, out of pain, all kinds of rock in a hard place, difficult situation, didn't lean on God, tried to handle herself. Now she finds herself in Philistia, man, uh, in the Philistine camp. Man, let's keep her here. Why? If we keep her here, she ain't going to be building her family. She's not going to be growing the kingdom. You see how the enemy can has a better memory and a better insight into your potential than sometimes you do. What in the world is David doing in Philistia? What in the world is he doing in the Philistine camp? Can I tell you that you are called, that you are purposed, that you are destined, that you have a reason? And can I tell you that the pain in your life will cause it to shrink and not be able to see it? Why? Because the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you into a prison of pain and difficulty and not be able to see beyond it. I think pain and sin and difficulty, this, this simple thought for you is this right here, that sin and pain, whatever, mix, change out sin, always keeps you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Every time. And some of you, you're walking through pain, you're walking through difficulty, you're in a rock in a hard place and you've not called out to God. You've not said, God, you gotta help me. Can I tell you that we serve a good God that the minute you turn to him, he is there for you. But you got to call out to God. 
You've got to take the step of faith like I was talking earlier and say, God, you're the only one that can rescue me. You're the only one that can save me. That's why David says, trust me, taste it and see. Taste it and see that he is good. And he helps those who humble themselves and he's, and he's there for those who are afraid and he'll rescue you from trouble. David writes this after living a life of difficulty and go, hey, God is good, y'all. He's from Texas. God is good even when we think we know better. God is good even when difficulty hits that we couldn't control. God is good even when we make a mess of situations we should not be meddling with. God is good even when our fear causes us to do crazy things. We've all been there. God is good even when we find ourselves in trouble that it's up to our neck. You ever feel like that? You're like, man, I'm breathing through a straw right now. I'm about to go under. God is good. God is good when life is not. God is good even when others are not. Y'all know some people. God is good even when you're not. God is good. David understands this. And he writes a powerful song and he says, taste and see. I'm gonna close with the verse I started with. And it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I think many of us, we can praise when things go good. I got a graze, praise God. I found my husband, I found my wife, praise God. We had a baby, praise God. And we praise according to circumstance. And that's understandable, why? Because I mean, we all do it, we're human. But David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why was David able to, David able to say that? David was able to say that because God is good continually. And if God is good continually, we can praise him continually. See, praise isn't affected by our feelings. Praise is about a faith step. God, you're good. God, I know there's a storm. God, you're good. God, I know I'm hurting, but you're good. God, I know I'm dealing with problems, but you're good. There's power when you begin to praise even in painful situations. Even like David, you feel like you've been abandoned, you've been lost, you've been hurting. And even when you do like David and you run to the wrong places, can I tell you, if you just begin to praise God, and don't just praise him generically. Praise him specifically. Isn't it funny how in life, if anybody wants to say bad things about you, they're very specific. But then when they say something nice about you, they're very general. You ever feel that pain? Like in Valentine's Day, maybe you had a someone, I love you, you're so nice. But in all the fights, they can be very specific. I wonder how many of us we do that with God. We can be very specific with how God has disappointed us. God, you weren't there for me when this, da 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 I even knew what time it was. It was 2.32 in the morning. But then when God does something good for us, hey God, appreciate it. 
So David, listen, this whole psalm is literally a praise. My soul makes its boast. Oh, magnify the Lord. I sought the Lord and he answered. Those who look to him are radiant. The poor man cried and God heard. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God's around us at all times. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David is very specific in his praise. I don't know where you find yourself today between a rock and a hard place, but can I tell you this, that God is good and God loves you.